KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. The Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case that challenges Roe versus Wade, and this could fundamentally change access to abortion in the U.S. What is the case in question? What could happen? What could we see the court do? We really wanted to dig into this, so we caught up with Professor Rachel Reboucher. She is an Associate Dean for Research and the James E. Beasley Professor of Law at Temple University's Beasley School of Law fascinating conversation. Give a listen. All right. So to start to just kind of set the baseline of where we are, I think just about everyone has heard of Roe versus Wade. Everyone has a vague idea that yes, it makes abortion legal and, but kind of explain where we are. What does Roe versus Wade, what does that actually say? And what does that actually allow and do? So Roe versus Wade is a is the first case in which the court decided that there is a constitutional right to at least abortion at different points in pregnancy. And so it set out this trimester framework that in the first trimester, which is about 13 weeks, people have a right to an abortion really for any reason. And states can't ban or substantially limit uh, abortion during early pregnancy. In the next trimester, states can protect women's health, the potential of unborn life, or, or however you want to phrase it. And then the third trimester later in pregnancy can ban abortion. And that, when people talk about Roe, they're, they're, they often aren't talking about that trimester system because that was abandoned by the Supreme Court in 1992 in a case called Casey, which said, yeah, let's get rid of this trimester approach and instead draw the line at viability. So States can ban abortion after viability, 24 weeks or so, but before viability, they can only protect women's health, protect potential life, and they cannot pass a law that erects a substantial obstacle to a person receiving an abortion. And that's what what lawyers talk about when they talk about Roe and this other court case, Casey, this constitutional test for what states can do around abortion. I think popularly when people talk about Roe, they're just thinking about abortion rights generally. You know, they, I'm not sure people necessarily distinguish about when an abortion occurs or for what reason or what states can do to try to limit. But that's the lay of the land that's shifted over the last couple of years with a couple of high profile cases that have tweaked that test I just described, this undue burden test, which asks states, are you really doing, is this law really keeping someone from accessing care, this substantial obstacle? And and that's where we are now. But that also probably will change next year. So the case that the Supreme Court is set to hear, I believe in October, it is Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. And this has been one, you know, obviously been in a lot of the headlines that people are talking about, you know, this could start the train to the rollback of Roe versus Wade. What is on the table in this case? What are, what are the nuts and bolts of this case? So that's how, that's why viability becomes important because this is a case in which the court has granted cert to answer the question, are all pre-viable abortion bans unconstitutional? So Mississippi passed a law that banned abortion at 15 weeks with very rare exceptions. And that's well before viability. And when I say viability, I mean when a fetus can live outside the womb. It was a 
wall passed in order to test constitutional rights to abortion, in order to ask the Supreme Court, hey, reconsider Roe and Casey. No one knew if the court would actually take the case. In fact, the court had the case on its calendar to consider in conference for months and just kept booting it down the road, you know, next Friday, next Friday, next week, next month. And then just recently, just as you noted, the court granted cert, it's going to hear the case and the specific question that it's going to answer are all pre-viability abortion bans unconstitutional. So a number of things could happen, but now on the chopping block, is not just the trimester system, which Casey revised, but whether or not states could pass six-week bans, seven-week bans, could control what reasons people have for having abortions, which are pre-viable and post-viable. So the court says that some or all pre-viability bans can be constitutional. We're going to see a lot of states start legislating and have already legislated to try to ban even early abortion. And that was kind of my, leads into my next question. The composition of the court right now is 6-3 with a conservative bent, and the three appointees during Donald Trump's administration, you kind of felt, yes, they were conservative, but the fever to get them on the court, and, you know, Amy Coney Barrett, the play at the plate at the end of the administration was specifically to almost feels like this court was built for a case like this. Am I overstating? I don't, I, I, you know, I don't think you are. I think that president Trump campaigned on appointing justices who didn't like Roe and didn't like abortion rights under the constitution. I think that during the hearings, it was pretty clear that justice Barrett had in the past expressed uh, real doubt and suspicion of a constitutional right to abortion. And just frankly, I don't know why the court would take the case unless it was going to say something different, divergent than what Roe and Casey say, because it's, it's clear under Casey for a lot, a lot of folks that Mississippi's ban should be unconstitutional based on this viability line. So unless you're thinking of changing that, unless you're thinking of really, you know, uprooting what has been a test for constitutional rights for abortion, I, I can't think of another reason to take the case. It's, it's interesting, not clear how Chief Justice Roberts will come out on this. You know, in the last case the court heard, he sided with the justices who struck down a Louisiana law, he did it because that law was exactly like a law that the court had struck down you know, a few years before. So he wrote a lot about stare decisis, which is the idea that the court should apply similar principles in similar cases as they move forward and apply precedent. But I, you know, I think that's a question for folks. You know, what is Chief Justice Roberts going to do in in this instance? If you know, when the question is, does is Casey still the test we want to apply? And you know, and it actually may not really matter because there's still five justices to say that pre viability bans should be constitutional. Is this an all or nothing case? And what I mean by that is, one thing I've learned is I've 
kind of done these podcasts and dug into the, a lot of these Supreme Courts on a wider range, not specifically just abortion. But you'll see in a lot of cases when they get a hot-button issue, very narrow decision that maybe moves the needle a little bit but doesn't take a sledgehammer to the precedent or what's in place. Is that a possibility here, or is this a situation where – there isn't a lot of wiggle room, and if it goes one way or another, we're going to see a fundamental shift. That's a it's a great question. I actually think that that's entirely possible. One thing that could happen is that the court, as it's done in other instances, says we're not abandoning Casey. We're just rethinking how this undue burden test applies. And what we mean by that is, Instead of thinking about balancing what law does, is there what burdens does it put on people looking to get abortions? What benefits does the law offer? When states pass these laws, they have a lot of legislative history that talks about the good that laws do. But evidence really rarely bears out, or hardly ever, that you know, requiring physicians who provide abortions to have admitting privileges to hospitals actually in any way, shape or form protects patient safety or, you know, does anything that the law says it's going to do. Well, I, I only say that to say, you know, the Supreme Court could say we don't we're not. And this is what Chief Justice Roberts has said. We don't care about the benefits. We take states at their words. Right. If states say that they're protecting the woman's health or the patient's health, then we're going to take them at their word that that's what they're really doing. And we're going to defer to them because they're the lawmakers. And the burdens, the burdens have to be so significant that it really keeps a large number of people from getting any kind of abortion care, a really heavy burden. The court in Dobbs could say, well, the undue burden standard, that that could apply to pre-viability bans because what we really care about is a law that makes abortion impossible to receive in the state. And so that's the kind of burden that the Constitution contemplates that states can impose. Or a law that is so nonsensical and so irrational, so punitive, that it would fail rationality review. It's like it wouldn't even pass the laugh out loud test, which is a, a very low standard for constitutional review that the Supreme Court uses when they're not dealing with a fundamental right. The Supreme Court could say, sure, abortion is protected by the Constitution, but it could apply a test that's so weak that really any law is going to pass the test. I, I, mean, I think that's possible. I think for justices who are thinking about their legacy and history and you know, maybe they don't want to be the court that strikes down Roe v. Wade. Maybe they don't want to be the judge who justice who writes the opinion that does so. But again, I suspect why take the case unless you are a court who thinks, you know, we want to put an end to reviewing abortion restrictions generally. We don't want the Supreme Court to entertain these cases any longer. To that point, let's speculate or imagine it is an all or nothing decision and Roe versus Wade is moved aside. And what does the landscape in America look like? Is it a hodgepodge of states 
Some with very strong protections for women, others where, nope, not here. I mean, are we, would it, because yeah. unfortunately, I think I've read before that the number of abortions probably won't change. Just the sa- the level of safety that people are getting when they get them will mm. drastically vary depending on where you are. Yes, and another great question. So I think a lot about this, and I've been writing a lot about it because you're absolutely right. The map of abortion access will look pretty much divided 50-50. Half the country probably with hostile laws, bans, very few reasons for abortion. You know, if someone's life is in danger, someone's health is, is in peril, but otherwise banning abortion, criminalizing it. States have trigger laws in which the moment that there is no constitutional reason to not ban abortion, laws will go into effect that criminalize all terminations, pretty much all terminations. And that's about half the country, South, Midwest. And then you have the another half of the country, about roughly the same number of states who are actively legislating to protect abortion rights. To say, you know, in this state of Massachusetts, for instance, we're going to pass the Roe Act and that's going to guarantee that until 24 weeks of pregnancy, you have a right to abortion in this state. I think what's really going to be a test of a post-Roe country is the introduction of telemedicine for abortion. So not all abortion is a procedure. Medication abortion is two drugs that you take over 24 to 48 hours. And the FDA has lifted the requirement that you get only the first drug, only the first drug, not the second drug, funny, funny enough, but the, only the first drug in person at a healthcare facility. So up until this point, it, uh, medication abortion is before 10 weeks of pregnancy, but you still had to go to a clinic, right? You still had to get yourself there. You still had to find a clinic. You still had to find a provider. Well, teleabortion is totally remote. You do an online provider visit. You then have the medications directly mailed to you through an online pharmacy, through direct supervised pharmacy. And that's because the FDA has suspended for the rest of the pandemic and is now reviewing this in-person requirement. And you can see why. It doesn't make sense when we're offering telehealth for all other kinds of healthcare to make people physically go during a pandemic to pick up a medication that they are not going to take at the clinic. They're going to take it home and take it at home. So anyway, that's a little bit too much detail to say. I think this is just for early abortion, but this telehealth is really going to test state borders, right? Because you're mailing, you know, you're mailing the regime to, you know, people in states who can, you know, maybe go across states, have people get in one state, pick it up in another. And we're going to see backlash to that. So the same states who are going to ban abortion are going to try to stop that practice. They already are. Six states have, don't quote me on that, a number of states have already passed laws that ban telemedicine for abortion in anticipation of these, you know, this remote care. So long-winded way to say, yeah, post-Roe, there's going to be a, a, a map of this country in regard to abortion access that looks pretty starkly half and half in, in support and in opposition. And overturning Roe or Casey is not going to be the end of the debate or the end of, of legislation. 
trying to control or advance abortion access. It seems to me when we have these arguments, discussions about abortion, there's a lot of focus on the law. There's a lot of focus on the procedure, the where, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of focus on the why. There doesn't seem to be a lot of focus on why women need abortion. Sometimes they're in terrible situations. There, there doesn't seem to be a human aspect focused on why the woman is considering that. Is that by design? Because if you make it too human, people have empathy and all of a sudden it's not some intellectual exercise that makes it a lot harder to take these hardline extreme positions? You know, Matt, I think you're writing my law review articles for me. You keep asking everything. That I, I think we should co-author. Um, no, I, I, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that that is a little bit of what's changing in the dialogue. I think there's a little that's gloom and doom for people who support abortion, considering that the court has taken the Dobbs case and you know, we've seen more anti-abortion legislation from states than ever before. I mean, five, six times as much. On the other hand, there's this tele-abortion stuff that I talk about. And on the other hand, I think that there is this, this groundswell of research that's really humanizing and contextualizing what abortion is for people. And so I've been tracking these research centers that say, hey, let's look at why people get abortions. Who are they? Where do they live? you know, why do they make these decisions? And overwhelmingly, people, three-fourths of the people who terminate pregnancies live just at, just above or below the federal poverty level. They are overwhelmingly, people say the reason they need, they need to terminate a pregnancy is because they cannot afford to have another child. Most abortion patients are already parents and are struggling to afford raising the children they have. It's a bigger, deeper story about how we support families, people's financially, people being financially strapped and not being able to make ends meet. That's at the heart of a, a lot of what happens in uh, abortion access. And it, it defies the idea that it's just a right to choose, right? It's just, I, I'm just going to choose or not choose. People make these decisions because they understand what it costs to parent and if they are able to do so. And this also has effects that ripple across our healthcare system. The, you know, the majority of uh, patients are also people of color who are then subject to wide health disparities in our healthcare system. So, you know, it, abortion is not just a story of pro-choice, this right to choose. It's also a symptom of what the inequalities in our healthcare system broadly. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.